We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. This is the recently engaged Tyler here, and I'd like to tell you how you can end up with someone way out of your league. See, some would look at me and call me Megamind or the thumb from Spy Kids or Chicken Little, and they'd be right. But what do I have going for me? It's the performance of my package. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped, that is. Inside, you'll find the upgraded Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker, Crop Preserver, Crop Reviver, Boxer Briefs, and a Shed Travel Bag. And if you couldn't figure out what those were from the description, I'd be happy to draw you pictures. Get the package to take care of the lackage in your package in the sackage by using our code GUILTY at checkout for 20% off your next order. You won't regret it. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into the Guilty Charge podcast presented by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Steven. I'm your host. I'm still in Newport, so excuse the audio, excuse some potential poor connection, but you know we're going to push through and do our best. So joining me today, as always, are Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing today? Uh, yeah, we're doing one of these, you know, if you couldn't tell by me and Tyler's backgrounds, it's uh, way past <laughs> my bedtime and uh, on the east coast so we're doing one of those shows again so excuse me <laughs> if i get a little bit loopy tyler how you doing man uh, i'm stoked and i'm ready to go um i'm kind of bummed you didn't invite me back to the newport place uh i didn't beat you guys <laughs> that bad at that beach game did i <laughs> no man so for those who don't know you know there's a, a great game to play at the beach it's called bottle bash uh it's a frisbee game kind of similar to uh cornhole in a sense uh, a lot of fun. Been playing it all week here with uh, the family at the beach house. So, uh, that being said, we got a fun show planned for you guys today, as always. Um, and, and you know, we've got to start off talking about Melvin Ingram officially ending his tenure with the Los Angeles Chargers. He signed a one-year, four million dollar deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, a move that I think makes a lot of sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Tyler, what do you think this means for Melvin Ingram, and what do you think this means for the Chargers? It's definitely very expected at this point. You know, when they obviously signed Fackrell, drafted Rump, it's like, okay, they're pretty much moving on. And it's sad to see him go because there's so much heart and soul and swagger that's going to be lost. And, you know, it's really going to be a challenge to replace him with guys that are kind of rotating, maybe good, maybe above average pieces, but nothing really like at peak Melvin Ingram, at least not yet. But, yeah, you know, it's tough because I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was the last pre-Telesco era draft pick on the team and now there's only two players left from the San Diego Chargers left on the Chargers right now and so uh, that means we're getting old and uh, you know yeah. time's moving on and and the team's moving on and, and Melvin Ingram is moving on and good for him I think some people were surprised about the deal I wasn't I never thought it would be that expensive especially considering like I don't remember what Hassan Reddick signed for but Reddick certainly deserved to get a bigger contract I don't think it was all that much bigger anyway. So, you know, good for him. I think it's a pretty solid spot out there with the Steelers. I think he's going to get, maybe if not a starting role, a pretty sizable role. And I think that's, you know, a pretty good way to what seems like at the end of his career. Yeah. Um, going into last season, I felt like Melvin Ingram would be somebody who would still be on the Chargers, um, you know, and yeah. unfortunately it was just 
everything that could go wrong did go wrong last year in terms of his injuries, in terms of his production. Um, yeah. And that's just a shame just because he was such a team leader, uh, obviously a captain and, you know, past all that, just like it was very clear that pretty much everybody in the locker room liked him. Uh, you know, Joey Postum, you know, was basically campaigning live on HBO for him to get a contract extension yeah. last year during Hard Knocks, yeah. right? Like, you know, so, you know, fortunately that didn't happen. Um, but there, there's going to be a part of me that misses him, you know, uh, especially mm-hmm. now that he's in Pittsburgh. Uh, and so, you know, I wish him the best over there. Um, can't say I'm going to root for him because I hate the Steelers and I hate the entire city of Pittsburgh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I do think it's good that he's still playing in the league. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy that he kind of has a job going into this year. And it's not just like, oh, well, maybe if this guy gets injured or, you know, something like that, I do think he'll carve out a nice role for himself there. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. But yeah, it is uh, not necessarily like a production loss for the Chargers, as we talked about. Uh, I, th- I think Ingram is kind of advancing into that stage of his career where, you know, he's probably not going to be, uh, you know, top two edge rusher on a team. But I do think that it, it definitely kills a little bit of the momentum in the locker room. But at the same time, everybody kind of knew this was coming. Yeah, uh, just real quick. So Hassan Reddick signed a one-year, $6 million deal for the Carolina Panthers. So um, pretty standard. I know, I know there were a lot of people mm-hmm. that were like, I can't believe the Steelers got him that cheap. And it's like, well, you really shouldn't be. I mean, he's had you know a lengthy injury, injury history at this point piling up on him. Yeah. Um, he was on IR twice last year. He didn't have a single sack. And he's just, frankly just not – excuse the fireworks uh, that are going on on the beach right now. Um, <laughs> But frankly, you know, Melvin Ingram is just not the same player that he used to be, um, which is is sad. But definitely going to miss his energy. Definitely going to miss the the locker room leadership that he was able to bring to the table. Um, like Alex was saying, from a production standpoint, you know, they're pretty much all in on Uchenna Uwosu at this point, um, mm-hmm. at least for this season. You know, we'll have to see what what kind of changes happen if Uwosu doesn't live up to expectations, or you know, continues to be injured a little bit, but. Um, you know, Tom Telesco kind of shut the window or the door rather of re-signing Melvin Ingram a couple of weeks ago when he did that Instagram live Q and a, um, pretty much saying that, you know, he was, you know, looking forward to seeing where Melvin Ingram played next year, essentially. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it sucks to some degree. Um, but at the same time, it's definitely not surprising. And, you know, barring changes and where they pick and how the class turns out, we need to start looking at edge being the first round pick that they go with, uh, yeah. next season. Right. Yeah, and thankfully for the Chargers and the rest of the league, really, you know, there's there's a great group of edge rushers coming in next year, uh, of course, led by Kayvon Thibodeau, which hopefully the Chargers are nowhere near close to drafting him <laughs> uh, because he's going to be the first or second player next year. Uh, yeah. I would be pretty surprised otherwise. So other than uh, Melvin Ingram signing with the Steelers, we are going to talk a little bit more about training camp and specifically some players that could be flying a little bit under the radar Uh, And then we're going to finish our position breakdown series with the wide receivers. Uh, That being said, let's talk about some players that are potentially flying under the radar for the Chargers heading into training camp. Um, I'm a big fan of the selection that Alex has. So, Alex, let's talk about one of your underrated players that you are select that you have selected to talk about. And that is Kaiser White. Yeah, uh, I could start with Kaiser White, but I think the case for him having, you know, kind of a breakout season and a breakout training camp specifically is just being in this new defense that'll allow him maybe to play a little bit of safety um, and not just kind of be, you know, pigeonholed, I guess, into the old ways of the Gus Bradley defense because, you know, he did have that kind of dual function at West Virginia. And, you know, since he's been in the NFL with the Chargers, it just hasn't really panned out that way. So I think you know, and obviously he had injuries and COVID last year, which was unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and so that's just, you know, kind of been the tough thing for him. But if he is healthy, uh, I think he goes into the season in the best position he's been in in a while. Um, I don't know if I would project a, a breakout season for him, but I think you talk about the defense and just getting familiar. Um, he just strikes me as one of those guys that will have, very positive reviews coming out of training camp. And again, as we saw last year with Joshua Kelly, that doesn't always translate. 
Um, right. But I do think that Kaiser is just one of those guys who is, is going to get it on the field and, you know, has the ability to kind of make plays to a higher degree than maybe some of the other linebackers, especially when we talk about uh, pass coverage. Where do you guys feel he's at as a coverage linebacker or I guess as a, as a safety right now? Because I don't know. I feel like he kind of got that bad rap early on in the season, especially when he had to play Drew Brees and Tom Brady, and they just right. kind of shredded him. And even though he was close in some instances, uh, right. it was just kind of a combination of bad luck and going to get some really good quarterbacks. So where do you guys feel he is right now? And do you think that he actually can stand out in coverage? I think he's an above average coverage linebacker. I think, you know, relative to the rest of the league, I think he's somebody that I, sure. I really trust in, in coverage situations as a linebacker. Um, and you know, one of the things that I talked about, you know, from learning the Chicago Bears defense and how they use their linebackers, you know, the responsibilities are, you know, significantly less taxing from the linebacker position in coverage, right? You know, you're you're do you're doing a lot more stuff over the middle in short routes. You're doing a lot of flat routes from running backs and tight ends and things like that. So, you know, I trust Geyser White in in coverage, and you know, I, I've kind of said this before, but I I don't think that. Drew Tranquil is, is as safe as a starter as people are saying, right? Like Drew's got quite an injury history, you know, racking mm -hmm. up and, and he's got to prove that he can actually be the starter. Now I'm not saying that I'm going to predict Kaiser White to be the starting linebacker, but you know, I'm not going to be surprised like Alex is saying here, if Kaiser White has some really, really good practices and is getting a lot of significant buzz coming out of camp and, and, and pushing Drew to be a potential starter. Awesome. Well, I'll move on to my other guy. Well, I didn't share who I was going to pick, and I didn't okay. quite know who I was going to pick. So I'm just going to kind of transition to go for I it. I don't know. Like, I just feel I feel good about this guy, and I think people we're talking about surprises. You know, we talk about Tranquil, we talk about Murray, we've even talked about Kaiser White as a safety linebacker. I, I'm going with Nick Neiman, and I think people are going to be surprised by him for a number of reasons. One, I think people will always forget that he tested at so athletic, well, athletically. Is one yep. of the most athletic linebackers in the history of the RAS score. But I think people will also be surprised by how often he's brought on a blitz. And I'm not saying he did a ton in college, but considering his athleticism and considering his speed and considering you know how well he can either shed blocks or get around blocks, he just has a nose for the football. And I think people will be surprised how often he's brought on a blitz. And I truly think that like he's going to show up versus that second string, third string talent sort of thing. And everyone's going to be raving about this fast flying, you know, high tackling, high efficiency great tackle efficiency kind of linebacker. And yeah, I, I could see Nick Neiman, even though he was just drafted and maybe isn't under the radar, I think he will be surprised by how good he is. And I do think while he won't be that safety linebacker kind of thing that Kaiser White would be, I do think he has a chance to be better in coverage and he is more athletic. And I do think he could give Kaiser White a run for his money, at least in terms of a Mike or middle linebacker kind of role. Alex, your thoughts here? I think – I don't know if I would say that uh, when you talk about a breakout candidate, it's going to be somebody who's primarily going to be playing special teams. But if you're going to be talking about somebody who's going to crack the field because he has to play, like Nick Neiman is probably the most ready to do that out of a lot of the linebackers and safeties yeah. that we talk about. Um, you know, like if I had to say who do I have more confidence in, you know, stepping on the field day one – Nick Neiman or kind of like Mark Webb, I'd probably lean towards Nick Neiman. Uh, and that might be, uh, you know, also true when we talk about some of the later round picks in general. Um, but yeah, I think he can step on the field and at least kind of know where he is. And that wasn't my initial thought when they drafted him. I thought he would be a bit of a liability, but you know, the more you look at the film, it's like, it's just really consistent stuff. Um, not, not, mm -hmm. not necessarily like mind blowing athleticism. I don't think he's going to make that one play in practice that, you know, makes somebody, you know, jump out of their chair, but I think he can absolutely, you know, in training camp, get the attention of the coaches and be like, Hey, you know, I can at least play five, 10, you know, kind of snaps a game here and there. And, you know, a little more, more on special teams, obviously. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of Nick Neiman and his, you know, potential with this team. I think he's going to be a, a solid special teams guy. And, you know, I, I like his ability as a tackler. I like his ability in space. You know, it, it definitely shows that the Chargers are kind of looking at this linebacker group and, and trying to get a very particular type. And, 
and someone mm -hmm. that is a very good athlete, someone that's really good in coverage, someone that can play special teams. Outside of Kenneth Murray, I think all of these players are very, very positive players in coverage. So, um, you know, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. So my uh, surprise player here that may be flying under the radar a little bit that I'm going to choose here uh, is actually going to be Steven Anderson. And Okay, you know, I like it. I think when it comes to this tight end position, you know, Joe Brady actually said something really interesting uh, where he said that in the Saints offense, the tight end position is the most important skill position because of the mismatches that they can create out of that system and out mm -hmm. of that player. And so that kind of got me thinking like really about the tight end position with this particular team, right? And I think, you know, Jared Cook and, and Donald Parham, like we said, very similar skill sets. Obviously, Parham's range is taller, has that crazy wingspan that he can use in the end zone. And that certainly can create some mismatches. But if I'm talking about a player in this group that I want to isolate one-on-one -on -one in a coverage situation, I think Steven Anderson might be my selection of the four. So I think that he can certainly carve out a role, make things interesting. You know, we talked about his chances a couple of months ago about making the roster. And, um, you know, I don't think any of us really were predicting it, but and I'm not necessarily predicting that he makes it either, but I think he's going to give this coaching staff a very tough decision because of his ability to create some mismatches, because of his ability after the catch. And and he is the shiftiest and most nimble of the four. So I think, you know, it, it definitely would not shock me if Steven Anderson is making this roster and, you know, making an impact this season for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, so when we did that roster predictions episode, I think we all kind of wrote it off and we're like, oh, I mean, yeah. Steven Anderson's not making the team. Uh, when we did the tight ends episode breakdown, uh, I sort of entered the episode with that attitude, but then kind of, you know, throughout the process of just talking it out, I'm like, well, you know, you realize that they kind of still do need, you know, his playmaking ability that he demonstrated in the last two games. And you talk about, right, how the Saints have used their tight ends, um, you know, particularly just, you know, as receivers in addition to blockers, right? The, this whole offseason, we've just been like, oh, the Chargers need blockers, the Chargers need blockers. But, you yeah. know, would it stun me if they chose Steven Anderson over, say, uh, Donald Parham just because, you know, they want what he provides kind of on a vertical sense? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think it would. I still would, obviously, you know, if I'm betting money on it, would take Parham to make the roster. But yes. I do think Anderson provides uh, some of that spark, uh, even if he's maybe not as consistent from game to game, which we saw last season, unfortunately, as well. Um, but, yeah, so I definitely think he could be kind of a training camp guy that gets some good buzz uh, and, you know, just has that kind of ride to the top. I'm really glad you mentioned him. I... Like, I think all three of us were like, I don't think he's going to make the roster. And I think we particularly just thought it would be Donald Parr makes the roster. And so, like, we need to find other places to find room. Right. So we just had to cut that fourth tight end and include neighbors. But, I mean, it's hard to argue against what he truly is, what he is on film, and what he is in the numbers. He's the only guy to average 10 yards after the catch last yeah. season, which is number one among tight ends with at least 10 targets, I believe. Um, and that's no joke. Granted, it's only on eight receptions, but he can do it. And right. So I think that makes him very special and unique to the roster. And I don't think it's worth getting rid of him. And I'd, I'd rather shed, I don't know, maybe another running back, I guess, uh, possibly one of the, the back-end wide receivers for a guy like Steven Anderson because he does what the other guys on the roster I don't think can do. They've all had very small sample sizes, so it is a lot to bank on. But I do think if the Chargers want to get their guys in space and let them run, you have to include Steven Anderson on the roster. So, yeah, it's a really good really good choice there, Steven. Yeah, we you talked about the the way that the Packers would use, you know, kind of the mesh concepts and, and specifically mm -hmm. be you know, using Robert Tanyan to you know, create some opportunities for him after the catch. And like I said, when you brought that up, like Steven Anderson is that guy to me. So yep. the more I have thought about it, the more I think, you know, would I rather have Steven Anderson or would I rather have like a seventh corner or mm -hmm. even Ogbong would be – Damn it, I messed it up. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Would I rather have like a fifth or sixth linebacker? Would I rather have a tight end that can maybe like carve out a, a significant role as a pass catcher? I think I would rather have the tight end. So it's just an interesting one here. So, uh, Alex, let's move on to your second one here. Um, you know, potentially some guys that are flying under the radar for the Chargers. 
Yeah, I went with uh, Christian Covington, uh, the defensive lineman that they signed out of Cincinnati. So the first thing is he is built like a fridge. Uh, I mean, he is he is like very much uh, the Chargers' initial reaction to seeing like Linval Joseph for the first time. Like yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he's just a powerhouse uh, physically, but he's also just played really solid football. I mean, he's never obviously been like a star. But, you know, he was pretty decent in Dallas, pretty decent in Houston next to uh, Jadavian Clowney and J.J. Watt when he was there. Uh, and with the Bengals this year, he set about 40 tackles, which was his uh, career high. So, you know, to me, this is going to be a guy who has some impact on defense, uh, you know, even if it's just as a rotational tackle. I don't feel like Chargers fans identify, you know, Christian Covington on their team easily or as easily as they do, say, Justin Jones and, uh, you know, a lot of these other guys that are going to contribute like Joseph. So I think Covington will be a name that Chargers fans come to know uh, starting out in training camp uh, when they get to see him on the field. And I think that, you know, the last two years he's been on the Cowboys and he's been with the Bengals who, you know, have particularly messy pass rusher situations. But as we saw when he was with the Texans, like, you know, the best season of his career was kind of when he was next to, you know, those guys in Clowney and Watt. Uh, so you can make the argument that, hey, look, you know, he's going to be on a line with kind of Bosa uh, and potentially Joseph, right, and all these guys. So I sort of think that sets up pretty well for him to take advantage of one-on-one matchups that the defense and Brandon Staley could scheme uh, so I think Covington is kind of just one of those guys that, again, is not going to, you know, make explosive plays, make a ton of sacks, of course not. But, you know, I don't think it's impossible for him to be kind of a two and a half sacks, you know, 40 uh, tackles kind of guy. Like, I, I think that's what he's going to be. And for the Chargers who are super thin uh, at defensive linemen, I think that the, you know, they just really need him uh, to be a you know solid rotational presence, especially after they lost uh, Damian Square in the offseason. So I think he's going to be a breakout candidate potentially uh, for at least this training camp. Uh, And then we'll see where we go from there. I was so happy when they signed Christian Covington, not because I think he's an elite talent or anything, but, you know, one, it continues the trend of at least this offseason of the Chargers finding guys that have kind of been in different places and never been an official starter, but they've always been kind of just good. You know, like Ode Abuji, you know, has he been a permanent starter anywhere? No, but he's been pretty good everywhere he's been. Yeah. And, you know, Covington, I wish the Chargers would have done this for their safety group because as soon as you add him, it's like, okay, I feel a little bit better. I can relax just a little Mm -hmm. bit because, you know, even if Tillery and Jones and however that works doesn't work out, it's not the drop off from like Tillery and Jones to Merrill and Goldwire or however it works, you know, at least you get kind of Covington in the middle as a guy who can, you know, make some splash starts, make some splash plays. You know, isn't fantastic, but he's he's a good enough player where I feel so much better about him being on the team. So, yeah, I hope he does well, because I think it'd be nice to see him find at least a, a long term temporary home. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the, the thing about him is that he's going to be a solid presence in the run game at minimum, I mm. think. So, you know, very similar to what they had in Damian Square, just somebody that can, you know, plug a hole when needed, be, you know, an adequate starter in a pinch. And the Chargers needed that kind of guy, right? And so, you know, inevitably he's probably going to have to start, you know, four, five, six games and really, you know, we'll see what kind of value he can bring to the table as a starter. And then who knows? Maybe he does work himself into another contract with them. Um, Tyler, who is your second player that you're going to bring up here? Yeah, I'm going to try to follow. My guy hopefully can follow in the footsteps of guys like Cordero Law and Dontrell Inman and Ty Long and last year Storm Norton and a Donald Parham and just be a guy from a different league who finally makes the team. And I think that could, could be Austin Prohl. I'm trying to find guys that are more surprised here, but you know, number one, as a wide receiver six, I think he can challenge for a spot. He's got good hands and he's shifty, but he was at least with the Rams up for consideration for their return job a few years ago. And obviously he didn't get it, but there, like, there isn't a ton of good competition for the return job so far with the chargers. Like I don't think Nasir Adderley is going to be considered a full-time returner at this point. I think you have to keep him as your full-time free safety, and I don't think you can risk an injury or, or something else delaying his progression there. So, you know, they brought him in with some intention for some role, and it could possibly be in that return role. So, you know, I think if he makes a couple of plays as a receiver and he can take that return job, you know, I, I think he has a shot to make the roster and, and surprise and, and kick out someone like you know, KJ Hill or possibly even Joe Reed. 
Yeah, I mean, he could potentially kick out, you know, somebody like that. It, it's really, we're going to talk about wide receivers in a second uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of our questions for the unit in general. But, it, you know, it's really a free-for-all once you get past, you know, Josh Palmer, particularly for that sixth spot at the moment. Uh, so I just wouldn't be surprised uh, at all to see somebody like Austin Prohl, especially kind of given, you know, some of his connections and just, yeah. you know, all around I guess, you know, just going from the CFL and we've seen how the Chargers, uh, even with Tavon Campbell, who's on the roster right now, um, you know, they 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 sort of look at their talent and say, hey, you know, we're not just looking for guys from the NFL or just because you're drafted. You know, that means that you have a spot here for lockdown for sure. Right. So um, I think that, you know, and I'll also he played in the XFL like Donald Parham. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of kind of overlap there in terms of the guys that the Chargers like to scout. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think I don't know if I would bet on him making the roster, but if you're looking at a training camp surprise, it would not shock me at all if Austin Prohl had one or two, you know, solid preseason games and off of that sort of made the roster. Yeah. And at the end of the day, right, like the Chargers are going to have a competition, you know, for punt returner, for kick returner. And mm-hmm. if that is, you know, Prohl's way to get on the roster, you know, good for him. I think that is absolutely a way he can make it. You know, right now, KJ Hill is is kind of penciled in to be the part returner. Um, and then we'll have to see what happens at kick returner, right, with Nasir Adderley, Joe Reed, who they drafted to essentially be a kick returner. Um, but we'll have to see how that one works out. So um, the last one here that I'm going to bring up uh, is actually going to be Brandon Faison. I know I've kind of mm. talked about my personal confidence, confidence level in him. Yeah. Um, I think that we've kind of heard enough buzz from – you know, some of the coaches and some of the writers already just from OTAs that a lot of people are going to be pretty surprised at the way Brandon Faison is looking in, in training camp and and potentially vying for a bigger role than than we all think. And, you know, we were asked last time about who's going to be the starter week one. I, I'm going to say this again, you know, and, and I hate to repeat myself, but I'm not going to be surprised if Brandon Faison is starting week, week one and if they decide to kind of, you know, ease Asante Samuel Jr. into the role and I know a lot of people are going to look at, you know, who Brandon Faison has been in the past and, and, you know, kind of the tough situations that he's been placed in. But I'm just a little wary of having a Michael Davis repeat here, you know, because we were all very (laughs) concerned about Michael Davis coming into the season as a potential starter. And, you know, I I think this defensive backroom is in a great situation where they can, you know, take a chance on developing someone like Brandon Faison who – really kind of fits the mentality that Brandon Staley is looking for as a very sure-handed tackler. You know, he definitely needs needs to improve in coverage, but so did Michael Davis. So, you know, I know I'm kind of alone in this in this one, but I feel like Brandon Faison is going to take a big step forward this season, and it's going to start at training camp next week. Yeah, and I think the thing is, you know, it, it doesn't really hurt you, I guess, to start Brandon Faison week one, because if Brandon Faison, you know, doesn't work week one, you can just move on to Asante Samuel, yeah. right? You know, it, if there are some serious lapses and moments in coverage, you know, for example. But, you know, I, I don't think that that's something to really be worried about. I think that, you know, Brandon Faison is a guy who can at least play, you know, consistently down to down, especially if you have Michael Davis over there, you know, covering the number one receiver on a team. Um, obviously that's going to work a little bit differently with Brandon Staley and it's not going to be quite as, you know, rigid as it was with Gus Bradley in terms of the matchups. Um, but I do think that Brandon Faison can at least, uh, you know, be a bit of a stabilizer at CB2, you know, wading into Sante Samuel and getting the role. But uh, like Steven has said, I mean, really like the coaching staff has said, you right. know, Sante Samuel Jr. is not going to be given that role kind of automatically. Um, and so, yeah, I think that Brandon Faison can have some snaps. And if you do end up starting Asante Samuel Jr. anyway, right, potentially, uh, you know, some injury could happen in the secondary or something else. And then maybe, you you know, throw Brandon Faison in there, right? Or you can just start Brandon Faison uh, a couple snaps here and there. Uh, so, you know, I, I really don't know if there's a lot of risk, uh, to starting him or at least seeing what he can give you in the, in the preseason training camp period. I guess I would be interested to see how they do ease Asante Samuel Jr. in because, you know, Washington football team, again, the quarterback situation is odd, but the receivers are really good. 
Then you'd have to play Dallas, Kansas City, the Raiders, who were a good passing offense, the Browns, and then the Ravens before your bye week. That's a really, yeah. really tough schedule to throw Asante Siama Jr. in there. Now, granted, I think he can handle it, and I don't think he cares who's in front of him. But you know, if you're trying to ease the guy in, waiting for the Patriots and you know the Eagles and I guess the Vikings are tough. But that second, the last two thirds of the schedule are a lot easier. So, you know, maybe. And I guess they have nothing to lose. Uh, the difference, I guess, between Davis and Faceline is I don't think Faceline just has those athletic traits, traits to keep up sure. the same way that Davis can. Sure. So, and if he makes it, it's off you know pure, I guess, mentality and, and, and reps and recognition and fitting in this defense possibly better because of Sealy. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I guess, like, give him a shot. But I, I would, I would still be surprised if he's not, if Sam Jr. is not starting on the outside. Right, and I'm not saying he's going to. Right, like I'm just saying that. Totally, I think it is a possibility, and you know, we'll have to see if the the positive buzz remains throughout training camp. Right, obviously, a, a different kind of animal than you know, mm-hmm. just doing OTAs and, and t-shirts. But you know, we'll have to see. All right, uh, guys, any other thoughts on some potential players flying under the radar? Uh, if not, we'll move on to the wide receiver conversation. Uh, I have to see a Loki Gilman, man. Like, they have some sort of faith in him, apparently, or blind faith or dumb faith, whatever you want to call it. I got to see this guy ball out because they have a lot riding on him, potentially. Yeah, um, I don't really have another, you know, breakout candidate in mind. But when you talk about kind of some of the uh, Spring League candidates, uh, right, who signed on this team, right, uh, you know, Willie Arbery uh, and Bandy, the wide receiver. I think it'll be interesting to see what they can do, and particularly because their roster is only at 86 right now. So hmm. they really, you know, only have to cut one guy, uh, I think, after the first preseason game, it goes to 85. So pretty much everybody on the roster will get a chance to play in that first preseason game. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, if for guys in the spring league or if you're undrafted, right, that gives you all the opportunity in the world. So I'm kind of exci- uh, excited to see what those guys can do. Yeah, no, that's going to be huge. I'm, I'm very excited for all these players who to, you know, get a full preseason this year. Well, three preseason games is, is obviously better than zero. So definitely an important step there. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, move on to this wide receiver conversation. I, you know, I'll, I'll kick us off here, I think. You know, this is kind of inspired by my conversation with Jeff Duncan, uh, who covers the Saints for the Athletic, and obviously wrote you know the 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 Sean the Drew Brees and Sean Payton book. Jeez, you know I can't talk right now. Um, but you know, if you missed that conversation, please go check it out. Um, one of the things that I talked about him was you know with the wide receiver group specifically, and you know Joe Lombardi's comments about Mike Williams playing the X and how mm-hmm. it was potentially going to be Michael Thomas and. Uh, well, I see how that works out. Like, I, I need to understand, like, really what he is meaning by that. Because Jeff Duncan seems to apply it. Maybe Joe Lombardi's kind of trying to hype up Mike Williams a little bit, you know, express some confidence in him. And maybe that is the case. But, like, he also said, you know, in, in the video that we tweeted out, you know, the Saints have their players run every single route tree, and then they really only focus on the routes that they're comfortable with. And so if Mike Williams is going to play the X role, but he's only going to be running the routes that he's comfortable with. Like, what does that look like? Because at this point, you know, he's he leads the league in go routes and jump balls and and all these kind of things. And that, to me, is not the Michael Thomas X role. So I, I guess my biggest question mark is, what exactly does this offense look like specifically for Mike Williams? Yeah, I've, I've tried to, and I was going to do a little jump-off video from your interview with Jeff Duncan, which is really good. So please check it out if you have not. But yeah, I was reading the quote over and over again that Daniel Popper had in his article. And, you know, it's as, as much as this offense will resemble New Orleans, he plays the X and the ball has always kind of found the X receiver in this offense. I think there will be some natural production that comes his way because of the nature of the offense. I don't know. Yeah, like you said, I want to see what the heck he means by that, because the direction that it initially hinted was, um, you know, Mike Williams is playing a Mike Thomas kind of role, which makes no sense to any of us. But if you take it as you know, the other, the other way, which is, you know, the ball has just found the X receiver in this offense, meaning they're just going to target it more heavily. Um, sure. you know, maybe that's probably more likely and I guess more reasonable, but we'll see, because like you said, the saints do not make their receivers frequently, at least run routes that they are not comfortable with, or they're not good at why install an offensive package or concept that your offense can't run. And apparently that was the, the issue with Robert Meacham, which I found so fascinating. Who ended up having like, like 200 300 yards 
with the Chargers in that one yeah. season that he had. It was kind of a disaster. And I think most of those yards came in that one revenge Saints game. You know, so hopefully the Chargers can kind of learn from that. But, you know, what is what does Mike Williams bring? Was he just asked to run those routes because he couldn't run other routes or because the offensive game plan, like the, the coordinators were not very good at scheming him for anything else? I'm not quite sure. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see what he means by those comments. And, and it'll take all of 30 minutes for us to figure out what he really means. <laughs> um, yeah. And so. In terms of figuring out what he means by that, I sort of took it to mean he means less Michael Thomas and a little bit more Mike Evans. That's that's sort of kind of what I got from that. Meaning, well, you hate Mike Evans. That's not good. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Well, okay. I hate Mike Evans. I I dislike Mike Evans as a top ten receiver, but Mike Evans is you know I mean firmly a top ten to fifteen guy in terms of the volume of his production. Right, the amount of targets he gets. Um, mm-hmm. just the ability to kind of do what he's good at, right? And I think the difference between him and Mike Williams is that Mike Evans is a good route runner. You know, mm, I would say Mike Williams is kind of an okay route runner, right? And then you have your sort of Michael Thomases and your Keenan Allens and Devontae Adams um, in that tier. So, you know, if Mike Williams gets a little bit better route running and they target him more heavily you know, like to me, the difference between being a top 30 guy or top 30, 35 guy versus being top 15, I don't think it's that much, right? It's just kind of winning inside the margins. And so uh, I sort of think that that's what he's talking about, right? I I don't think there's any world in which Mike Williams goes to being Michael Thomas in one year. But can Michael Thomas develop some more of those skills and be maybe a fringe top 15 guy? Yeah, I think that's possible in one year. Um, you know, we saw what he did in 2019, and I think you can kind of build off of that and, and continue that. So, um, yeah, I, I think Mike Williams is definitely going to be interesting to watch and is really, you know, the X factor in terms of taking this group to the next level. Um, my question when it comes to this group is how much do we actually know? Um, and I went back yeah, to seriously. S- September 1st, 2020. Uh, I okay. will read you the depth chart. Lovely. Uh, <laughs> this So this was basically after training camp, pretty much entering that first Bengals game. Your first receiver, obviously, was Keenan Allen. Your second receiver was Mike Williams. Your third receiver was Joe Reed. Your fourth receiver was KJ Hill. Uh, and your fifth receiver was Jalen Guyton. Uh, and then Tyron Johnson was not even in that equation. Yeah. At all. Uh, he was on the practice squad. Yeah, he was on the practice squad, didn't make the roster, then comes in, you know, week four, and then all was said and done from there. So I thought that was interesting, um, not only because, yeah, I mean, you have a coaching overhaul um, and, you know, just guys that will look at these receivers a little bit differently. So, you know, for the whole offseason, we've been going, okay, Keenan, Mike, uh, Guyton, Johnson, uh, Palmer, right? Those are our first five receivers. And then our sixth is some, you know, maybe Joe Reed, KJ Hill, Austin Prohl, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so I guess, you know, as we get closer, um, I feel like we might even be further away from the answer because now there is a preseason and these guys are going to get to show off what they have. Um, So, like, I, I have a good idea of what we know heading into 2020, but I also are heading into 2021, but I also felt that way about 2020 and 2020 (laughs) did not play out like any of us expected, you know, especially in the receiver room. So uh, that's going to be my thing is just which guys step up, which guys maybe take a step back. Um, And so, you know, I think that starts with Guyton and Tyron Johnson as supplementary receivers. Can they be more than that? Uh, or is that sort of their ceiling? And then obviously you kind of have Joe Reed and KJ Hill. Um, as of now, we think facing that kind of bubble roster cut. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see. And it was just, you know, really haunting to go back to last year and be yeah. like, wow, we didn't really know what the fuck we were talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, like we can only, you know, react to what we're hearing. And, you know, we've kind of pointed out, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of KJ Hill talk coming from any of these coaches. But, mm-hmm. you know, if there's anything that can make them talk about it, it's what these players are able to do on the field. So, you know, what happens if KJ Hill goes out and, and has a great camp? And what if Tyron Johnson struggles or, or things like that? So, 
Um, that is a great question that, you know, specifically for the little wide receivers, I think that is the one group that can really fluctuate, you know, as, as it pertains to like what we know in July versus what we know in September, you know, like, uh, Tyler was talking about Dontre element. Like, I don't think anybody was really expecting Dontre element to, you know, be the kind of player that could play for the chargers, leave, be so important to the chargers, you know, that he could come back later and, and still be on the team. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there is that kind of player on this squad that no one's really talking about that, that works their way into that kind of Dontrell Inman role. I'm hoping we just know a little bit more and we can project a little bit more this year because yeah, last year was just a kind of a surprise to some of us. Like, okay, Jalen Guyton, okay, this guy uh, kind of does one thing and he has terrible hands. So let's <laughs> prioritize somebody else, right? Like we all knew that going in. So I was like, why are we, you know, making this guy the guy? You know, and then they draft Joe Reed. So it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. Let's have this guy be the guy. But then yeah. Joe Reed went the other direction. Jalen Jalen Guyton went the other direction. And you know, I don't know. If that's a coaching staff thing, really per se. Um, but yeah, the, the one like continuing with this, the, the guy I need to figure out is, is Joe Reed. I literally right. have no idea what he's going to do. He's either going to be, you know, the wide receiver five potentially, or he's just not even going to make the roster at all. Yeah. And I don't. There's it's really hard. There's no like in between for him. Um, it's just so hard to predict what they see in him. What were his issues last year? Was it really lining up and not knowing what he was doing? Uh, because when he touched the ball, when he was on the field, he was very efficient, you know, and he did, he made the most out of what he had, but he just never touched the ball. So what was right. the issue last year? Where he, Why didn't he touch the ball more? It, there was no reason to not give him the ball based on his efficiency. It wasn't like he wasn't doing anything with the football. So what happened? And then what does this coaching staff think of him? Now you definitely know, I think, that you have two wide receiver threes that are at least should be ahead of him and you think are potentially better than Joe Reed, at least as pure wide receivers. And then you invest a third-round pick in, in Josh Palmer. So where does he fit in? What is his role on this team? Do they try him back at running back like we heard from training camp last season? I don't know. Yeah, that's going to be so interesting. And <laughs> it's like so much of last year was weird in the way things were handled, but Joe Reed, like getting hyped up as, you know, Percy Harvin type of player and yeah. he didn't play. And then when he did play, he scored a touchdown, looked really good. And then he yeah. didn't play again. And specifically like when Keenan and Mike Williams were hurt, like Joe Reed still did not play. Like it, it was just really weird. And you know, that, that staff obviously has their issues that we've got kind of talked about, but you know, Joe Reed, I'm really excited to see what it, the future holds for him. And, and like we were talking about with Austin Prohl, like there's there is a role on special teams that, that needs to be filled. And if that's what it takes for Joe Reed to kind of go in and, and be a gunner, be a punt returner, be a kick returner, and, and make his mark there, you know, then, then that's what it's going to take. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing with Joe Reed is, you know, if, if he's going to be a better route runner, then I think he can play. If not, then I don't know. Um, right. You know, we, we talk about lining up in the same spots and you talk about how the coaching staff wants, you know, uh, Mike Williams to be Michael Thomas. Like <laughs> those all kind of sound like comments that say KJ Hill at least isn't getting it done for us, you know, at the moment right now. Granted, it was OTAs. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know how they view his skill set and it you know doesn't seem like they view his skill set super highly considering they just took a third round receiver or at least had input in taking that uh in, in Josh Palmer and you know basically have not not trashed him to this point but have kind of you know left him you know sort of in the dark as with KJ Hill um although with the the comment about the route running but so yeah i don't know it's hard to say i think that special teams is his key to making the team right if he can still be that kick returner potentially i mean that's what he was for the first three weeks last year and then tyron johnson came uh in you know kind of famously in that bucks game but um i I don't know yeah it it really felt like everything was kind of going good for him uh you know those first three weeks and then suddenly you know after week seven he just didn't touch the ball or was a healthy scratch etc etc so um i have no idea what to make of that right now but you know i I, i'll i'll be curious to see how they view the last regime's 
draft picks. I mean, technically, Telesco is the current regime, but the last coaching staff's input on there draft you picks, yeah. when you talk about K.J. Hill and Joe Reed uh, versus, obviously, um, you know, the guys that they brought in, right? They did bring in uh, Austin Prohl. They just did just bring in Michael Bandy, um, who, who maybe we can talk about a little bit, but those two guys are sort of their guys, and, you know, we'll see what exactly KJ Hill and Joe Reed are to them. But uh, I do think the change of coaching staff is maybe most fascinating at that position, just given how much draft capital the Chargers invested in right before they fired their coaching staff. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and to that point, I think my, you know, one of the things that I'm most curious to see is really who separates themselves for that third wide receiver. Because like, I, I know that, you know, the Saints are talking, or the Saints, the Chargers have been talking about, you know, personnel and being able to be multiple and use, you know, player X or player Y or player Z, you know, depending on what they're looking for. But, like, there's going to be a receiver that is, you know, significantly ahead of the others in, in terms of snaps at wide receiver three, in terms of targets. You know, it could be that, you know, maybe Josh Palmer has more targets than the other guys, and, and maybe Jalen Guyton has more snaps kind of thing. But, you know, I'm really curious to see how that works out because, you know, in my mind, like it makes sense to have, you know, the route runner, the jump ball physical guy, and then the speed specialist as like your three main guys, you know, is that Jalen Guyton? Because, you know, he was Anthony Lynn's guy for sure. Maybe this new staff likes Tyron Johnson. Maybe they like the guy that they just drafted. And so I'm just so curious to see how that works out. Again, sorry about the, the people in the in the background, if you can hear them. Uh, you know, people still run around on the beach here in Newport at 10 p.m. Um, but yeah, just really curious to see who that third wide receiver is going to be and, and who separates them and how quickly that person separates. Yeah, I mean, Newport, head, California, the Saints, uh, gun to your head if you look at the Saints and you took the Chargers receivers and put them on that roster, or at least not Keenan Allen, not Mike Williams, who's wide receiver on three on the Saints roster? Like, if they, if they had to put a guy at wide receiver three from the Chargers, who is it? I think it would be Tyron Johnson, right? Okay. I don't think that, you know, looking back on the Saints, they they don't, you know, limit themselves to having just a specialist, right? Like, they, even mm-hmm. when they had guys like Ted Ginn, Roquan Smith, they do other things besides just run straight. And, you know, I'm, I personally have more confidence in Tyron Johnson being a player that can do more than just run straight, like, than I do Jalen Guyton. I think Jalen Guyton doesn't really possess – the kind of quickness to really run any of the short routes. I think Tyron Johnson does. So yeah, if they were the saints, I'm fairly confident that it would be Johnson, but you know, I don't know how this group feels about Jalen Guyton. Um, but man, I just am a big believer in Tyron Johnson's skill set. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, we see in Steven's background, Newport, California is celebrating the Bucks title. So congrats to those guys. <laughs> but um no, yeah, I, I think that that's a good point. And I, not that I think Jalen Guyton is in line for a demotion or a smaller role or anything like that. I, I, I think it's way too early to say something like that. But you do bring up that somebody like Tyron Johnson is more better positioned on this coaching staff uh, to really you know light it up because he has those route running abilities, because he has those high-end athletic traits just that Jalen Guyton simply can't match. And, you know, Jalen yeah. Guyton was kind of a favorite since 2019 with the Chargers, um, you know, when he had that Jacksonville drop. Uh, but Anthony Lynn always took a liking to him. And, you know, I don't uh, – I, I, in terms of evaluating Johnson versus Guyton, I do think Johnson is the more complete receiver. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if there was really much doubt in that either because Jalen Guyton started kind of with, like, a relatively, you know, you know, big lead on him. And then, you know, suddenly as you got down to the season, you know, it was kind of weird to see that Jalen Guyton finished with about 530 yards. And I think Tyron Johnson finished with about 430, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if there will be favoritism or that you can even put Tyron Johnson at wide receiver three yet. Uh, I think it's way too early to kind of lay out the depth chart uh, despite us making predictions and probably being wrong on them. But to me, Guyton is the guy that when you talk about those first five receivers, just 
he's the least technically sound of the three, but his athleticism makes up for that. So yeah, um, we'll see how much that kind of matters to this coaching staff. You're muted. Steven, you're muted. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, I had myself unmuted. Oh, man. I muted myself, and then I went to another tab and, you know, forgot that I muted myself. Uh, but, yeah, so just like Alex was saying, just wanted to be, you know, specific here. Jalen Guyton had 511 yards. Uh, mm-hmm. Receiving and Tyron Johnson had 398. So, oh. um, you know, just figured I'd mention that right there. Um, all right, guys, any other questions about this wide receiver room before we wrap up today's show? None from me. Uh, no, not, nothing from me. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, I'm excited to see how training camp goes. Obviously, you guys are going to be there. We're a week away now from training yeah. camp, so that's going to be exciting. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I'll still be you know riding for bolt beat and, and doing all that. So, you know, it'll be exciting as the season starts. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely looking forward to that. Tyler's going to be there on Wednesday. So if you are there, make sure and keep an eye out for him. I'll be there uh, for the Friday and Saturday practices. So, you know, come up and, and say hi to us and we'll, we'll chat it up with you guys. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to be our show for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for uh, dealing with some internet issues in our first in person or first partial in person <laughs> recording, which is a lot of fun with Tyler. Uh, one day we'll get there with Alex and have the three let's all together in one room. That'll be really fun when it happens. Uh, but yeah, make sure and let us know what you guys thought of today's episode uh, on, in the YouTube comments and leave us a rating or review as always. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.